1: you are not Terran. of course I am the way you speak enough please return to where you are from Emperor should you fail to do what is expected of you they will kill you this
2: is my home
1: now and forever and I will make it what it needs to be So a few months back, we started this whole 23 weeks of Trek, and we had Lower Decks and Star Trek Discovery all in a row, and now we have only three weeks left. How crazy is that? Say it's not so. Say it's not so. I (laughs) know. Oh, it's making me sad. I'm Dan Gunther. With me, as always, is Bruce Gibson. You're listening to Positively Trek our discovery review episode. And this week we're taking a look at star Trek discovery season three, episode 10, terra firma part two. And yeah, after this episode, there's only three left that, that kind of
2: blows my mind. Wait, I'm sorry. Terra firma part two. There actually was a part two after part one. I'm not used to that (laughs) in discovery. Sometimes we get a part one and there's no part two. If I remember correctly, the premiere episode was that hope is you for the season part one.
1: It said part one, but Mm -hmm. there's been no part two. I'm glad we're getting a part two for this (laughs) one, though. Yeah, me too. I I still think we'll get that part two at some point. My money at this point is still on the first episode of season four. Or maybe maybe there'll be a short track episode. That hope is you part two. Maybe the short track episode that details what Burnham was up to during that year. That'll be that hope is you part two. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's my new favorite theory. Yes,
2: (laughs) I I think that might be it. I don't know. Or how about this? This is just, uh, this is something I hadn't even thought of before. What if we just got some special between seasons three and four, not short tracks, But just a one-time movie special, That Hope Is You, Part 2, and it's like a a bonus thing in the summer between episodes. It's like a two-hour event
1: that shows her and Book's journey for a year. I don't know. That would be pretty cool. I I feel like that may be more on the outside of the the possibilities, but I like the outside the box thinking. I really like that idea. That would be really, really cool.
2: Yeah, it would almost be like this, you know, in-between movie until the next season starts.
1: Yeah, I I would be all for that. That would be excellent. But that's not the part two that we are actually supposed to be talking about today. So Terra Firma part two, uh, this most recent episode, an actual part two, like you say, that follows immediately after part one. What a concept. Pretty crazy. But they did it. Discovery did it. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes. And
2: thank goodness, because after part one, I definitely needed this part two.
1: Yeah, definitely. To start out with, I, and I should say we will be getting into spoilers, of course, right away. So if you haven't watched the episode, you may want to do that before listening. But uh, right off the bat, I got to say it answered more questions from part one than I thought it would. There were some things in part one that I thought they would leave as mysteries That would just be like, oh, maybe they'll pick that up at some other point. But no, I think this episode pretty succinctly answered a lot of the questions I had.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. For me, too. There's a lot of questions I had and there's a lot of theories as to the direction I thought things would go in. And I was wondering if this was going to wrap up the Giorgio storyline in Discovery or not. And I wanted to see if this episode was going to do that, too. Mm -hmm. Well, we
1: get the answer to that question for sure. And the other ones as well. So uh, let's start uh, at the beginning of the episode. It picks up, of course, right where part one left off. Georgiou is seemingly in the mirror universe back in time, back in the 23rd century. And the decision she made at the end of part one was to spare the mirror Michael Burnham's life and set the mirror universe on a different course. And it seems that her mission is to create a new world, to, to remake this universe Based on her experiences in what we call the Prime Universe, you know, I guess it's not that surprising, but it really does show how much Georgiou has changed and how much she has been changed by her experiences with, you know, the Discovery crew and all of her experiences in the Prime Universe. Were you surprised that that was kind of her goal was to remake the, the Mirror Universe?
2: I was surprised by that. I'm glad that they went in that direction, and I have some ideas as to why I think they did that. Of course, you know, they want to show character growth in her is definitely one reason, because when you come from the mirror universe and you're in what we know as our prime universe, she is going to have some change in herself. There's nothing about this universe that wouldn't affect her. Yeah, I mean, just being around a crew like Discovery and see how this universe is, it is not as violent and destructive as the mirror universe. And so she's seeing a way that could be the way things could have been. The thing I'm a little disappointed about is that I wanted to know more about her backstory of her childhood and how she Mm -hmm. got to be emperor. I want to hear more information about that because we're not born evil. People in the mirror universe aren't born to be the opposite of what they are in the prime universe. It's the effects of the environment that they're in that makes them who they are. And I just wonder what Georgia was like when she was younger, what made her into what she was in an adult as an emperor, and if she's regressing back to the way she was when she was younger, where maybe she did have more hope. But circumstances change that. And now she realizes she can change the circumstances.
1: Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought for sure, because I feel like this story makes Giorgio such an interesting character. Because, like you say, she was born into and molded by the mirror universe, and she still has all that. She hasn't. She's not a completely different person, but her exposure to these new ideas and different ways of doing things has changed her pretty fundamentally in that way. So in some ways she's, I think almost further along than someone who would just be born in the prime universe who kind of always knew peace and, you know, all this stuff and just turned out that way. But she made an active choice to say that, no, this way is better And I'm going to change for the better. I I think that's really interesting. And to your point about her childhood story and stuff, we get another little reference to that story in this episode. And again, like you, I was kind of thinking like, oh, we're going to find out about this character from her past, San, who's mentioned in the novel Die Standing by John Jackson Miller. I thought we'd get more of that. But apparently they're saving that for her next series, it sounds like, she seems to basically leave the show in this episode to go to Star Trek Section 31. Uh, we'll definitely get to that for sure.
2: Yeah, I definitely want to get to that. And before we do that, the other thing I want to point out is her relationship with Burnham. I think that's the other thing that motivates her to do what she needs to do, because Burnham is gone in the mere universe. She had killed her, and now she's reunited with a different Burnham. And I think she also realizes how much she longs for the Burnham she knew. And she really realizes, you know, Burnham really was a daughter to her and it didn't have to turn out the way it did. She really didn't have to kill her. She has hopes that she could turn her daughter around and now she's getting a second chance. So I think it's two things. It's one as change the mirror universe to the way she's seeing things in the prime universe and then also have a second chance with her daughter, which she tries and tries and tries, but some things you can't change.
1: Yeah, and, and we definitely see her on that path to trying to uh, break Burnham, as as she puts it, because Burnham of the Mirror Universe and all the people of the Mirror Universe don't understand a language other than terror and, and fear, and so you know Giorgio's trying to harness those forces to bring Burnham to her side and and rule with her at her side and and have her help in this mission to change the mirror universe were you convinced like did you think Burnham had changed and was loyal to Giorgio or did you know that she was ultimately uh, not loyal and going to turn on Giorgio. I think I did think that maybe she did change or, or decided
2: to follow Giorgio, but I still didn't trust her. I didn't necessarily think that she was faking it, but I thought maybe there would be something that would break her or turn her back against Giorgio. But I didn't think it was in her plan to, I'll just pretend that I'm following you, mother, and I agree with you, and I'm servient to you. As soon as your back is turned, I'm going to stab you. I didn't think that way. I just thought that she was broken down, but then something would happen later that would piss her off, and then she'd go after Giorgio again.
1: Yeah, I was suspicious of her, and at first I thought the episode was going to disappoint me because... Georgiou wasn't suspicious of her I thought like oh no Giorgio's going to get taken in and she's going to get betrayed and she is betrayed ultimately by Michael but I didn't give Giorgio enough credit she does have you know people keeping tabs on Michael and she doesn't completely trust her and has kind of backups going so the the episode definitely uh didn't disappoint me there. I I was like, "Oh, okay, she's got this covered."
2: Yeah, and that part didn't surprise me because as soon as Burnham points her phaser at Giorgio, I was like, oh there we go. Dang it." I was hoping I was hoping Burnham was honest and and did come around to Giorgio's side. But as soon as that happened, I was like, I know Giorgio probably isn't falling for this. She probably had a backup plan the whole time. At least that's what I was hoping. And sure enough, she did. I was like, thank goodness.
1: Yeah. And the look in Giorgio's eyes, of course, isn't surprise. It's just disappointment. So the moment I saw that look, I was like, okay, she knew this was coming or at least felt that this was a possibility that this was coming. So
2: Well, and then they killed each other in their fight. Which I thought was symbolic, too, because this is the opportunity where Georgia's is trying to get Burnham to come to her side, has failed at this yet again, and is ending up killing Burnham once again, which in essence kills her. Whether she lives or not, her soul is, is, is killed. It's died. She's, she's not accomplishing what she wanted to on the, her second chance, and so it's ruined.
1: And before we get to that too, though, I want to talk a bit about part of the backup plan she has, because in this moment we see Saru and another Kelpian come in guns blazing. And the setup for this, I thought was brilliant. The scene between Giorgio and Saru in the mirror universe. And I don't say this lightly, I think is one of the best acted scenes we've ever seen in all of star trek discovery and i think is saru it, I, i'd say both michelle yo and doug jones give their best performances of the entire series in this scene i was completely blown away by the acting and especially when you're speaking of doug jones i don't say that lightly because he's an incredible actor and so is michelle Yeoh. so to say that this is you know the best scene they've ever been in i i don't use that lightly. I don't just throw that around. Saru, for example, when he starts to kind of panic a little bit, he's like, you you don't belong here. You're not, you're not from, you need to go back where you're from. They're going to kill you. Like, I just, I feel that. And the, the connection he's made with Georgiou here, I thought was just absolutely beautiful. I hadn't thought
2: about this being one of the best acted scenes in Discovery. I remember really being moved and, and loving this scene. But I do agree with you. It is probably one of the best. I do remember watching this episode and thinking that this was Michelle Yeoh's strongest performance in Discovery throughout. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed her performance. And Doug Jones, too. And, I mean, the whole cast I always have. But this really stood out to me with Michelle Yeoh. I was really buying her. There was was just times where I thought, like, she really feels like she belongs in this part in the mirror universe. I think it's also because her character fits in more in the mirror universe than the prime universe. So because she fits so much well in that universe, it just comes across even better. And I feel like she can really play to to the heights of the character. But yeah, this scene is so great because at the same time, it's like, Saru feels loyal to her. He wants her to be the one that ends his life. You know, he's, he's looking to her. It's like she saved him. And at the same time, I think he worries maybe that if people are against her, they're going to be against him and
1: she's his hope too. But at the same time, he kind of puts aside that worry to worry about her, you know, which is interesting to say, you need to go back where you came from they're going they're going to kill you like you can't and he actually genuinely cares about her which i that kind of blew my mind i i just loved how easily and and well that was communicated in that scene
2: which is so nice too because he doesn't have anybody he's cut off from anybody he would have cared about and anybody he would have cared about may be gone may have Mm -hmm. been killed And, and he even mentions you know, about brothers and parents and, you know, have all gone and, and his sister, his sister. And, you know, he's the only one left and she's the only one that he could care for at this point.
1: So kind of the background of this too, is he's about to go through his Vahari, which for Kelpians, both in our universe and the mirror universe meant that they would be culled. That's when they have to be killed because they'll go insane or whatever. But Giorgio reveals to him that no, lock yourself away. Let the mandas pass. You'll be fine, and you'll be changed. The terror on his face when he realizes that you know all my family and friends—they didn't have to go through this. Giorgio says to him, "No, the way you get your vengeance is to tell others. So you overcome it by passing through Vahari, and then you get your revenge by telling other Kelpians this." And. Raising everyone else up. I, th- I thought that was beautiful.
2: Yeah, I did too. And I like how she told the story, how she once knew of a Kelpian named Saru, who had served as a captain of a starship. And when she started telling that story, I thought, I know this is the mere version of Saru, but does he not go by the name of Saru with that? Like, I just was wondering how he was taking that. And the second watch, it, you know, I was thinking that even more when she was saying it. It's like, is he hearing her? tell a story about somebody named Saru that has the same name as him or is he thinking that she's telling a story about him but what could have been or does he realize that she may be from another universe and talk about a different Saru
1: yeah it could be the first time we met him of course we know Burnham started calling him Saru, but it's a little unclear then as well, because Burnham says, I'm going to call you Saru. So it's, it's kind of unclear. And I think he might've said something in that episode, like what use would a slave have for a name or something like that? So it's unclear if he knows that or not. So
2: yeah, that now it's starting to make sense. Yeah. So he doesn't have a name. She's basically named him and now he's finding out who she named him after. And so Mm -hmm. he looks at that Saru
1: as that who he wants to be like that. And in reality, he is that he is Saru. I, I don't know. I, I'd love to dig in deeper. We need another novel set in the mirror universe or something to see all these relationships and see how this all plays out because yeah, I don't know. did, did Giorgio actually alter the timeline? Did Or did things get reset after she leaves? I don't know. Well, that, that's another question. But yeah. the first thing, before we get to that, I want to talk about uh, reforming the Mirror Universe. So this is the third time now we've seen in Star Trek history, not, not chronologically speaking, but as far as TV shows coming out and us seeing it history, uh, this is the third time we've seen somebody try to... Change the mirror universe based on the ideals of the federation, and of course the first one mirror mirror Kirk gives Spock the inspiration, and we find out later in Deep Space Nine that he did reform the Empire, but now they've been taken over by the Klingons and Cardassians and Bajorans Enterprise we had to trying to use the example of the federation and and that kind of failing, and now we have Georgeot doing the same thing but ultimately failing. Are these kind of reforms to the mirror universe just always kind of doomed to failure? Is it fundamental to that universe that this is the Federation just does not work there?
2: I I don't know. Maybe I guess you could look at it that way. (laughs) I mean, also in my head, I often think that there's more than one mirror universe. And so sometimes I wonder if we're seeing different mirror universes. And to your point, did we even create a new one, a new mirror timeline with Georgia's return and what happened after uh, this episode? Did that universe continue on? I don't know. That
1: could be, yeah.
2: As mm-hmm. mentioned in Mirror Mirror, that it just takes one man to make a change. It's a lot of effort. And does the Federation work within the mirror universe? Probably not. It couldn't be just like the Federation we know because the circumstances are so different. You couldn't change
1: everything. It would be impossible. That's a good point that like, I, I do wonder, because we know there's multiple timelines of the prime universe. I, you know, once you start putting those labels on it, it kind of gets a little hard to follow. There's there, I guess there's not multiple prime universes, but there's other universes that branched off from the prime universe and became other timelines. So it could be multiple branches on the other side in the mirror universe as well. And yeah, I wonder if Giorgio's experience here. Because we do find out that the way she traveled there was through the Guardian of Forever. And we know that timelines change when you travel through the Guardian of Forever. So it's sort of all in her head, but also sort of not because... As she appears on this planet and checks her little Fitbit that she got from uh, Michael <laughs> in the last episode, it has three months worth of medical entries, yeah, medical uh, diagnostics of her there. So she was actually there she was and there. actually experienced that.
2: So, yeah, I think a new
1: timeline
2: was created. I really do. I mean, mm. we could get a comic series or a novel that takes place in that timeline of what happened afterwards. I mean, that's. Entirely possible. And without going too far off the topic of this episode, but the way I look at timelines, and this is just the way I look at it, is I look at each timeline as being like a string. But if you take a string, you'll notice that there's the string is made up of several threads. So I look at timelines as the same way. So when we say a prime timeline or the mirror timeline or the Kelvin timeline, I picture it all as the same timeline, but then there's microscopic timelines within that timeline where they're the threads of the timeline so that the timelines are so similar that they're so close together that they're almost the same but just slightly different because if you took a string and you unraveled all the threads the threads would look the same but there are slight differences so when Mm -hmm. when i say like the kelvin timeline I also think of the Kelvin timeline Is there's different versions of that timeline, but it's still contained within that timeline as a whole, but is just a different thread of that line,
1: if that makes any sense. That makes sense. sense. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of what we see in Parallels, yes. the TNG Season 7 episode as well, where there's trillions of different realities that are just a little bit different from the ones around it. So, yeah, that makes sense yeah. for sure. Yeah, so that's, yeah, Parallels is a perfect example of, how I think about the timelines. Yep. So speaking of Georgiou reappearing on the planet that uh, she and Burnham beamed down to in the last episode, we find out, of course, as I've already said, the mechanism of her travel back in time through the doorway was, in fact, the guardian of forever and Carl is the personification, I guess, of the Guardian of Forever. So what did you think of this reveal in this episode? And and specifically the kind of, I don't know, just the, the, the booming voice that I am the Guardian of Forever. I, okay, I'm, I, I loved it, but I'm curious <laughs> what you thought. I'm just like giddy. I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, I love it
2: too. I mean, actually, I've only watched the episode twice now since uh, our recording here. And each time, especially the second time, I almost like giggle a little when that booming voice comes in not because i think it's funny but at the same time i kind of do because you just see that man there and i never pictured that voice coming out of a guy standing there with a hat you know <laughs> it's, <just, laughs> it's kind of funny in a lot of ways and then when you see the door explode and you see the little fragments of wood the little splinters and then it zoom, comes in and we see the guardian forever like we know it i mean it it is I don't want to say fan service, but that's how I've, it. There's kind of this fan service that goes on for me. You know, it's like, oh, I love this. But I will say at the same time, I know this is one theory that you had had about, you know, this gentleman Carl being the guardian of forever. And of course, there's been other theories out there about, you know, could it be Q or something? I was really, in a lot of ways, hoping that it would be something unique. You know, I don't want to mm. keep going back to the well of what has been another Star Trek series all the time. But I do have to say, when it
1: happened, I was just like,
2: oh boy, this is so cool. I love it. Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it personally. I thought it was terrific. For me, the favorite, my favorite part of it all, though, like the revelation and all that was interesting and fun. Uh, I do like, of course, that Burnham is like, what's a guardian of forever? Like, I like that it's not, you know, that that was meaningful for us, but it's not necessarily for them. They're just like, oh, what's this? And He explains like a time portal to other times, other dimensions, and all this stuff, just like the the Guardian did in City on the Edge of Forever. But his kind of explanation for what has happened in the meantime, the temporal wars, and how all these people were using him to kill other people. And I got this real sense of heartbreak from him that, you know, the, the people of the galaxy who are so much younger, like children to him basically, and they're using him to kill other people and and how much that affected him and he had to hide himself away and, and move to a different place and all that kind of stuff. I loved that. I really enjoyed that aspect of it, that kind of not just relying on the old touchstone, but building new canon for it and and saying where it has come since then and and kind of giving an explanation for why it's in a different place and all that sort of stuff. I really thought that was well thought out.
2: Yeah, I did too, because when the theory of could this be the Guardian of Forever, I thought, well, it's not on the same planet. And I thought, unless this is another guardian there may be multiple ones out there but then i was like but the spear data only pointed to this one and so uh, did the other guardians were they destroyed if there's multiple and the original one that we know of is it gone i mean this is before we got the reveal and it was when it was the theory then when it's revealed that this is the guardian of forever my next thought is but this isn't the planet i mean it's not and then That explanation of the temporal Cold Wars was just like, oh my gosh, he had to move. He had to go into hiding. Like, yeah, because he was going to be used and abused like this. This created an interesting backstory to the Guardian Forever. The Guardian Forever was created or assumed was created by some alien race you know thousands of years ago or whatever
1: and it's like we don't even know that backstory billions of years ago if city of the edge of forever is to be believed yeah
2: and so when i see carl and i can see that the guardian can appear and disappear and of course now we know it can travel what do we not know about the guardian forever i'm not talking about necessarily just who built the guardian forever but also what abilities does it have in representing itself like did the device evolve into what we see now or did it always have that capability to, to appear and disappear and travel and to represent itself in a human form or other forms?
1: I kind of wonder if that ability is related to time manipulation. Like if it has the ability to manipulate time, it could change something in the past that makes it move to this other planet or something. You know what I mean? Like if you have power over every timeline you have the power to pretty much do whatever you want so I, I kind of like that they leave it up to the imagination a little bit there that uh you know i don't know how he did this but he's already been uh shown to be very very powerful as far as all affecting past timelines and stuff so You know, if you can do that, you can probably manipulate it so that any shape of whatever in the future you can imagine you can make happen. (laughs) Yeah, because it really puts a whole new
2: dynamic to this possibility of the Guardian forever, because now as Star Trek fans, we can be watching something Star Trek and there's a situation where, oh, if they can only go back in time and the Guardian just appears in front of them. Hmm. Right. Because now we know he's not stationary in one place. He can travel. He can appear and disappear. Not necessarily maybe like Q does, but you know, if they're on another planet, the Guardian could show up possibly.
1: Yeah, you never know. Speaking of the Guardian, of course, Georgiou has has, you know, discovered these things about her and been weighed according to the Guardian and judged sort of thing. But her fundamental problem still exists. She's still in a place and time. That is alien to her cells in her body. So she's being torn apart, but the guardian gives her an out a passageway to a time when the mirror universe and the prime universe were more aligned. Apparently my immediate thought of course, is this is back to the 23rd century where she came from, but it could be something else. We don't know. I'm really curious to see where this all goes, but did it not just feel like really obvious that he's like, (laughs) and I don't mean this in a bad way. I just thought it was funny. It was almost like Carl was standing there saying like, you're going to be going to a new place and a new time with new adventures and you'll save lots of people coming this fall on CBS, the all new series starring you as Philippa, you know, it just felt like he was introducing this new series, a new situation she would go to. Again, I'm not faulting it. I thought it was really funny, but it, it totally felt like this was like the presentation to CBS shareholders <laughs> saying like, you know, coming this fall, this new series starring Michelle Yeoh, step through here and you'll be on your way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, actually, I felt a little like that throughout this episode and the prior one, because I had a feeling that this was going to be the resolution of how we get Giorgio into a section 31 series and so these two episodes were supposed to somehow bridge her from discovery to that that new series there's a lot of character development in Giorgio in her change and it's mentioned several times by Burnham. You have changed. You have changed. And I thought this is good because wondering how Giorgio would lead a Section 31 series as a mere emperor is a little disturbing. But now if we go into the series knowing, oh, yeah, she's from the mere universe, but she's changed. Not a 100% change. She's still from the mere universe. She still was an emperor. She's still a badass in so many ways. But she's more sympathetic. She has changed. She'll continue to change. So I can see her leading a Section 31 series. But I felt the whole episode was building up towards that because we, we've we heard about this new series coming up. So, yes, when the Guardian is saying that, I feel like, okay, this is that cherry on top of the Sunday that we got of building to this moment you know
1: Mm -hmm. and the other thing that kind of made me feel that way a little bit was uh when Giorgio brings up the backstory that we've kind of alluded to when she says you know i had a childhood friend son i wish i could have told you about him and burnham says tell the new people that you're about to meet Right? (laughs) tell the new cast (laughs) yeah tell the new cast that you're about to have this show with uh, that that's for them you're no longer on discovery <laughs>
2: yeah well i mean this answers the questions that we've been asking for a while when they traveled into the future when discovery went to this future we were like wait what about georgia she's supposed to be in the section 31 series is that still happening and if it is she's got to travel back in the past maybe she takes the discovery and goes back into the past with the discovery and needs, leaves it somewhere in the nebula and that's why we see what we see in calypso and you know well we can scratch a lot of that out
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah not- that was Completely wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. But I will say, I love this episode, but here's the part I didn't like. And it's not Uh-oh. that they did anything wrong in the episode. It was just a disappointment. When she walked through the Guardian, I was just screaming inside of, show me where she goes. Please show me where she goes. And they didn't. And I even I waited into the credits and afterwards just to see if they would show me where she goes because I was dying to know i just wanted 10 seconds that's it just mm-hmm. to show me and this is what it was in my mind i pictured her showing up somewhere where she's disoriented doesn't know where she was she sees a woman and walks by taps her on the shoulder and she says excuse me where am i and captain kira Nerys turns around and says you're on deep space nine what <laughs> that's what was in my head <laughs>
1: That's cool. You know, when you, you were saying the, the one thing that I wished I had seen, I didn't think that's where you were going. Although I absolutely agree with you. I would have loved to have seen that. We're going to have to wait to see where she ends up. Unfortunately, I thought you were going to say I really wanted her to do a little hop jump through the Guardian, just like Kirk and Spock did. Because that's what I was thinking. I was waiting for <laughs> I was like, is she going to hop jump in or just walk in? I
2: was like really waiting to see how they were going to do that. Yeah.
1: Just do the little slow motion skip into the, the portal, like in City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. Yeah. But honestly,
2: uh, without getting too into this, I really believe that we will not see her appear in the Pike timeline, 23rd century where she was before. I think we're going to see her in the 24th century. Well, I I think it's either going to be in the 24th century. And that's why I was thinking maybe she'll show up on Deep Space Nine or sometime after that in the 25th century. But I don't think they'll go there or possibly show up in the time frame of Star Trek Enterprise and touch mm-hmm. on the Romulan Wars.
1: Yeah. And, and the the beginnings of Section 31 or something like that. That's Right. It's right. interesting. I I do remember that interview where they said that section thirty one takes place in a surprising place in time. So I'm still, yeah, I don't know where that will be. I I don't think the answer will be as simple as back where she came from as well either. So yeah, yeah I don't. Know. I also
2: wonder if they'll put it between the twenty third, twenty fourth century series in that gap, which we know in the novels hmm. is the lost years or the lost era, the lost era. And so yeah. I wonder if you know because that will give them a chance to fill in those gaps
1: yeah that would be pretty cool well we've talked mostly about Giorgio's stuff in this episode which is definitely the bulk of the episode but there are some other things that are happening that i do want to touch on briefly so they're still on the discovery in the prime timeline trying to get in touch with the kelpian chip and get in through the back door of their computer systems and stuff And Book ends up kind of helping out by providing some Emerald chain technology that allows them to boost subspace signals or something like that, Uh, saying that, you know, Saru said to make himself useful, and that's what he did. Saru kind of is a little trepidatious about using this tech, but ultimately gives it the go-ahead because it seems to be working. However, when he gets in contact with Admiral Vance, Vance is a little more skeptical and is kind of questioning this use of the technology and the use of Book being, you know, not somebody who's following Starfleet protocol. What did you think of this whole part of the story?
2: You know, I feel like this question is leading me to uh, where do we think things are going to end up with Book on the ship? You know, maybe that's not the intention, but that's what it feels like in some ways to me. But I feel like this is really just saying that Vance is trying to mentor Saru and not so much not trust or worry necessarily that much about what Book is doing, but is just worrying a little bit if Saru knows how to make the right decisions. And it's not that Saru can't be a good captain, but he's a new captain. And he's a new captain in a new Starfleet in a different time period. So and in a lot of ways, I feel like Vance has to kind of babysit Saru a little. But I don't want babysit is the wrong word. I think it really is kind of mentoring him. So I think Book is being used as also kind of, well, first of all, I think Book is doing all this because they need his character to do something. They want to keep his character in the show. But the second thing is I think that the character is being used because it's a way to challenge Saru in his command decisions as captain and allow that relationship of Vance and Saru to develop. So that Vance can really mentor Saru so we see if Saru's making the right decisions or not. Then there's the other theory in my head of, well, are we going to see Saru fail at being a captain in some ways? And then Burnham step up into the captain role based on what Giorgio says before she steps through the Guardian about, you know, Saru's a good captain, but you... Are more than what you think.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. So the Georgio thing, absolutely. And I also also thought that was an interesting bookend to her character, even though she's not the same character. But when we first see Georgio at the start of the series, she's saying to Michael, "It's time for you to be a captain. I'm going to, you know, recommend that you get your own command." And then the leaving of the character, and again, different character, but Michelle Yeoh's Giorgio still. With those parting words that, you know, you're more than you seem and, and, you know, the captaincy is something basically she's saying, uh, should be in your future. You're worthy of that. So yeah, I'm curious. The other thing she says, of course, is this world, this time right now is more Terran than you're used to. yeah. So this feeds into, and I'm, I'm still not convinced that Starfleet and the Federation aren't going to be the bad guys somehow in this season. I think that could still happen, which leads me to Vance and this scene with Saru. Now, the last episode, I saw it as a really nice bit of leadership lessons between Vance and Saru, and I, I thought that was really good. You know, he kind of overturns Saru's decision but says like this is why and and I think you made a slight mistake here. Here's where I think you could improve and and you know, that sort of thing, and it felt really mentoring. This episode, the flip side of that, he's questioning Saru's decisions here and and that sort of thing. And Saru, of course, you know, to be fair, doesn't inform Vance right away of the Kelpian ship and, and holds that, you know, without reporting it for his own reasons. And Vance kind of calls him on that. To me, it feels more like Vance is micromanaging Saru a little bit here and not giving him the trust I think he needs to kind of make the decisions. I could be misreading that, but it felt a little bit more sinister. Isn't the right word, but like it felt a little bit more manipulative this time around than the last time, if that makes sense. And I, and now I'm starting to question Vance because that scene paired with what George said has really kind of set off some alarms in my head.
2: Yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean, the jury's still out on Vance, but for me, I'm leaning more on the side that he's good than bad in this in these situations, and I think a lot of that has to do is I'm hopeful because if we're into this future, we know what the Federation Starfleet have been through. And I really would hope that the leadership of Starfleet isn't bad. And I hope that whatever Starfleet did wasn't necessarily something that was on purpose. Because now you get to a thing where it's like, okay, so Starfleet in the future just becomes corrupt. It was, it, It's something that ended up failing. I hope not to think that that's what happens, but now, But I see where you're getting, for sure. I mean, I, I get some of that feeling too. But I guess I'm just on the side of thinking that the writers... Might not want to go that direction with Vance, but I don't know. I feel like it really could go either way. I definitely see what
1: you're saying. Yeah, maybe there's a different Starfleet in the Federation out there who are actually the good guys. And these are like pretenders or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah, but also I think about how Vance is, again, put yourself in his situation and where Starfleet is now and what's been happening and time travel is not allowed. He knows what's happened through time travel with the temporal wars. And now all of a sudden the ship from the past shows up. He thinks they're good people. He he's starting to trust them, but not fully trust them. And you've got a new captain on the ship who's new to being a captain. And again, he's in a different timeline. And I think, yeah, I think he is still questioning and doesn't fully trust Saru yet.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely see that as the case for sure. All I'm saying is I had alarms going off in this episode. I'm not I'm not coming up with a conclusion one way or the other. I hope Vance and the Federation are still on the side of the angels, but I don't know.
2: They might not be. But yeah, you need to be concerned of that comment that Giorgio made about this is more Terran than
1: mm-hmm. we think. So it kind of makes you wonder. Yeah you know <laughs> yeah somebody made a comment on um, on either facebook or somewhere and it really like oh that's a good point they said you know even after all the experiences this crew has had with lorca they're still too trusting like they yeah. still are a little bit too trusting. And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. They could be burned. They could be burned.
2: Burned. Burned. The burn. Yes. No. Oh, <laughs> there, there go. we go. There's the pun. <laughs> but that actually leads, leads to what I was going to say earlier, which I've said earlier in the season that I wonder if the Federation did cause the burn, but maybe it was more of an accident, but they're covering it up. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does make me wonder if
1: there's some cover up going on. Yeah, that could be for sure. Well, one last thing that I kind of want to touch on, of course, is this goodbye scene to Giorgio. We get the crew kind of toasting the character. Uh, There's some touching goodbyes here. I really liked Saru's toast. And I especially, of course, liked Burnham's toast. I think they're very genuine. The other crew members... I'm not as convinced of their respect and liking of Georgiou just because like, if we look at the history of the character on the ship, like she never really interacted with a lot of people. And when, when she did, it was a, in a very antagonistic way. So I can, I can get, get the tongue in cheek, like, oh man, the way she walked, she was hot stuff kind of thing. But at the same time, maybe this is just me, but I'm curious, did you feel more like they were toasting Michelle Yeoh? And her place on the show, then they were toasting this particular mirror Georges character. That's kind of the impression I got. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did get that impression. I did feel that way,
2: that it was more of a toast to Michelle Yeoh. But to your point in universe, and I, no, actually, let me go back to that. I I Yes, it definitely is a toast to Michelle Yeoh. I really think that's why mm. that scene was in there. I think that's why the writers did that. I think the actors were channeling that and their feelings of Michelle Yeoh into that scene. So definitely, yeah, I think that's fine and that's appropriate. But in-universe, I did think, well, it's kind of odd to see some of these crew members toasting Georgiou like, oh, yeah, wasn't she great and wonderful and I'm going to miss her? And I thought, really? Do you guys really feel that (laughs) way about her? But then I thought, you know what? I've been in situations where I've been at work where I know there's employees that didn't like maybe somebody there, a boss or whatever, and thought that person was a jerk and said, I'm so glad that person's leaving. And then you go to the going away party and they give a toast. Oh, you're going to be missed. And you were always so good to us, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, really? You don't really feel that way. You're just doing that for show. I mean, maybe you feel that a little, but you're exaggerating it. Because you're not going to stamp and give a
1: toast at the going away party and go, no,
2: that guy was a jerk.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, I I felt like some of those were definitely not genuine. Which is fine in-universe. I could absolutely see that happening. But I'm like, I don't think Detmer was too sad to see uh Georgiou go i don't think reno was too sad to see her backside yeah. as she leaves you well, know i mean maybe yeah, a little it's fine
2: maybe maybe they are little and that they're touching on that part of them that there were some things they liked about her and some things they respected and yeah they are going to kind of miss her but for the most part probably not too much
1: yeah exactly but as a, as a goodbye to Michelle Yeoh from the show, who was there from the very beginning, from the very first episode of season one, I think it's uh, it's touching, and it was a good scene for that on on that level for sure. Yeah, I you know, I really hope to see this character back
2: with the Discovery crew at some point, but I don't think we'll ever see that happen.
1: I don't think so. Yeah, maybe like a a. Back in the day, if sweeps week were still a thing, you know, there'll be like that special episode. Oh my goodness, she's back or something. But uh, yeah, I don't think, I think they're far enough removed from each other now. It's probably never going to happen again. Unless there's some flashback scene. Yeah, exactly. One final thing that I just want to briefly touch on, the return of Jet Reno, who's been missing for a few episodes Man, was it great to see Tignataro back in that role, even just for a few seconds, chomping on her uh, licorice in the engineering bay and being all snarky and cranky. Oh, I missed her. She's just a guest star, she's not a regular. Any Tignataro as Jet Reno we get, I'm absolutely Totally happy with, so it was really, really nice to see her returned here.
2: Yeah, I like when Stamets is like, "Where have you been? I haven't seen you in a while." You know, (laughs) that was great. Yeah, like she's been hiding somewhere on the ship. I don't know if it was the Pod Directive podcast or I I don't know, or Ready Room or somewhere else. But I remember her saying that she goes to the set. She's there for like a couple weeks, and then she's gone for a while. Then she comes back because she's not a regular character. She's not
1: yeah that's part of the right. main
2: cast so i just assumed that you know well she had off her few weeks and and now she's back and so we're just going to make a joke of hey where have you been haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> situation but it is good to see her i mean she just adds that little spice to the show you know and it's a it's a it's a spice that we need because we're not going to get with Giorgio anymore absolutely so, yeah so we need that little <laughs> bit of spice in the cast and, you know, the other thing, it's like, I wish she would have done, like, when Stamets walked up and said, hey, wh- how come I haven't seen you in a while?
1: I wish she would have said, because I haven't been on the call sheet for the last few weeks. <laughs> I want to see that outtake. I bet you that exists. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> so, final thoughts and maybe a rating for Terra Firma Part 2 and anything that we haven't uh, mentioned. So, yeah, this episode, I loved it. I love both parts, Part 1 and 2.
2: I would—I haven't watched them one after the other in a row, and one sitting, which I'd like to do sometime. But yeah, I love this. I loved the send off of Giorgio. I think if they were going to do a send off, I'm glad it's not just a simple oh she got in a shuttle craft and found a time portal and went back in the past because she didn't want to be her anymore. You know, I didn't want to be a, like a simple thing like that just so she can get on the get on the section thirty one show. And I like the development of the character. I like that it, she's more sympathetic. She now sees that there's different ways to do things that she has changed. Burnham still scares me to death in the mirror universe. She is so evil. <laughs> just like it's just so played well by Sinequa Martin-Green. That woman can play anything that you throw at her just amazing. And just knowing that the cast enjoys being in the mirror universe and seeing the mirror universe again. And yeah, the guardian of forever. I mean, come on, you can't help, but just love seeing that. And just Carl and the whole thing. That's just not that, that device that's there. We've evolved the guardian forever into something a little more interesting and more, a little more dimension to it. So it gets me questioning things. So all these things, I would say, I mean, I'm giving this five out of five. Mere universe stabbings into Burnham. <laughs> Yikes!
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree on pretty much every point. I loved this two-parter. It feels almost like a bit of an extended break from the main, yeah main, main story. That's like a good we can't kind of get bookended by the main story at the front of the first episode and the end of the second episode. But yeah, it, it's just like a little vacation from the main discovery storyline, which is fine. And, and I think it was a great necessary thing for george 's character. I'm more excited now for the section 31 series than I ever was before. Me too. I have to admit, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, like I'll watch it of course, but it's not something I'm really looking forward to. But now I'm, I am i want to know where she ended up. I want to know who these people are she's going to be working with and how this experience has informed her character and changed her. I want to see that all play out. And uh, I'm really excited for that. So kudos to the writers of these episodes for doing that and making me excited for their next project, I guess. So good episode. The Guardian of Forever, of course, was a really great fan woohoo moment and it feels like in various franchises this week we've gotten a lot of really big fan excited moments and i don't know how this one stacks up against the other ones from other star whatever franchises but we'll leave that for people out there to decide but yeah uh top marks for this episode i'm going to give it I, I think one big, booming, I am the guardian of forever proclamation, which makes me go, oh, my God. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I still think that when we see Giorgio pop up in a Section 31 series, it's going to start on Deep Space Nine. Because that's where Section 31 started in the Star Trek franchise. Interesting. But a future Deep Space Nine. I'm not talking within the seven years of the series, but that's why I said earlier, a Captain Kieran Norris, you know. Okay.
1: All right. Bring back Nana Visitor. I would be all for that. It that could, would be great. It could be during the time of Star Trek Picard. All right. Would you be willing to put money on it? <laughs> uh,
2: not on Kira, maybe, but on the fact that she will appear on Deep
1: Space Nine
2: on the space station. Yes, I would put money on that.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Let's bet Let's bet 15 Quatlu's. That then, works. Which is... Which is the price of one Star Dispatch newspaper, apparently. So, (laughs) (laughs) I can afford that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, when you're not paying me my 15 Kwat when it turns out that she's nowhere near Deep Space Nine, where can we find you online? (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Admiral
2: underscore Rex. You know what? I'm like 30-some followers away from hitting 1,000 followers. Ooh. And so I'd love to see myself break into the thousands, which has taken about 10 years to do, (laughs) but that's cool. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, follow me there. You can follow me on Instagram at Admiral
1: Rex, no underscore. And of course I'm occasionally on the star Wars report podcast. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats K E R T R A T S YouTube.com slash Kertrats productions. You can follow the show on Twitter at positively Trek And also find the show on Facebook. Find our Positively Trek discussion group. Just search for Positively Trek and Bruce or I will let you into the group. Uh, Just answer some questions and agree to the rules. Well, thank you all so much for listening this week. Three more episodes of Discovery to come. Very excited, but also very sad that uh, the season is ending soon. But we'll be here after the season to talk about all things Star Trek. So no worries on that front. See you next time. Until then, as always, stay positive.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.